Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mind the Gap, the only podcast by Enablix seeking sales and marketing alignment. I'm your host, Nick Zeke Lopez, and today I'm joined by Shashi Belamkanda. Shashi, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. And thank you for bearing with our uh, audio video uh, issues uh, coming into the episode. I, I appreciate that. You, you sound great. Um, uh, so, so to start off, could you give us uh, a, a brief uh, uh, intro? Who is Shashi um, and, and what is it that you do? Great. Uh, I'm Shashi Belamukunda. Uh, by the time this podcast is published, I will be the VP head of marketing at a company called Involve.ai. Uh, you know, you can see I have a Southern accent, right? So it's like involved without the D in it. Uh, I'm really excited because uh, one of my missions was to get into a company that does AI. And so this is good. My previous company was, I was VP of marketing at Leap, which is a SaaS company that uh, does, does sales software for the home improvement industry. Uh, I've been in the U.S. for about uh, 25 years. Uh, my previous life was in four other countries, including uh, growing up in India. So that's me. That, that's going to be a podcast all to itself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Shashi before America. No, no. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I know we have a lot to talk about. Uh, I am interested though, just real quick, um, involve AI. The dot AI trend is, is certainly taking over. Do you, is that, is that something you were looking for? Uh, or, uh, do, and do you think the dot AI will persist next to dot com? Where, where do you think that's going? You know, uh, AI is still very early. Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, speaking to on a panel in marketing profs just on how marketing can use AI. Like uh, it all started with AI is going to take over everybody's job and things like that, right? But the amount of efficiency that AI can give in every aspect of human life, it's not going to replace anything, but it's going to make it more efficient. And I know this because uh, in the last two companies, I've been dabbling a little bit with creating models uh, where I was amazed at the amount of correlation that it can make. So to answer your question, I think, there will be a lot of application for uh, for AI. And it's as simple as today if you're typing in Gmail, right? Mm -hmm. Gmail seems to know like what you're going to answer. And, uh, you know, honestly, maybe my last uh, email to you, Nick, was entirely written by Google. <laughs> There should there should be a disclaimer at the bottom, like uh, <laughs> sorry for the typos. This email was written by Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. In fact, I was actually looking at um, another tool called uh, I think it's called Jarvis now. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sorry, it's called uh, Jasper. It used to be called Jarvis. That's right. So efficient in like learning from what you're writing and adding sentences, it's amazing. So it's not going to do it on its own. We still need the vast uh, power of the human brain and imagination. Uh, certainly, certainly motivational words. Um, I, you know, I wanted to start there. Um, it's something that we've talked about recently. Um, but, but you think that marketers need to get better at using both technologies like these and, and data, period. Can you tell us a little bit more about why marketers should be fluent in data? 
you know i just got off a a company all hands uh, and it was about what's happening in marketing that's probably one of my last all hands at my uh, at my previous company and uh, everybody today who's working in a company wants to know what how their job impacts the company so mm-hmm. the three things that i think uh, uh, team members today would like to know what are the goals how do how does their work impact the goals and do they learn something new every day so earlier like marketing was like you can be creative you can do new things but uh, the end goal was just creation not necessarily measuring the entire thing i think with mm-hmm. the advent of saas marketers have to be more data driven because they want to know exactly the behavior of uh, the different stages like how do people behave at the top of the funnel all the way to a customer and i think the future is also making sure marketing doesn't stop at the customer uh, once they become a customer but continues throughout the life cycle so you need to know data of like who's this person what interests them what do they visit and and everybody wants a personal mm-hmm. experience right mm-hmm. uh, do you agree with that You know, I think it's interesting because I I I sit on both sides. Uh and not pandering, but I really do. I I think that the understanding and working with data is incredibly important to solve specific problems. And I I I and I think it's amazing. Um uh what what it can do. And and from that routine, I'm just talking about data analysis, querying a database or a data set and and coming up with insights given that that data. I I think that the further you go into that being useful in day to day i think you get further and further away from the pool of candidates you can hire into because i think marketers also need to have empathy and i think they need to be creative and they need to come up with good ideas and a lot of that doesn't come from data and so i sit on you need to be dangerous enough with data that you can solve specific problems but if you become a data expert when i would say like if you're if you're requiring your marketers to be data experts you're almost putting too much of a burden for what you're expecting a marketer to be um where where but but if you're totally divorced from the data and i i know and i've worked with people that that say that you know they they say things like like oh i'm not i'm not a, a data guy well i think that's 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 a luxury that we can no longer afford is is not to be a data person but i i think that you know if if creativity and 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 empathy are 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 parts of the job it's got to add up to 100 somewhere You have to be really good at coming up with ideas and concepts that no one thought of if you're not going to work with that much data or on the other hand you could be pretty data centric but but that limits how much I'm expecting uh from on on the the creative side from that content marketer so to speak you know you make an excellent point like uh, I agree with that uh, that everybody can be everything in a team uh where in the last 8 years like uh, i worked for large companies like network solutions where you had like almost uh, every specialty and every job was kind of uh, customized but what i'm finding is like uh, you have to develop multiple skills and you don't have to be good at it at all uh, for example the other day we were trying to solve a problem where a particular uh, email tool that we're using did not have enough uh, the ability to customize an image and make a link to it mm-hmm. now they did have the ability to like uh, play around with the html 
So there are two options here. Either as a marketer, you say like, hey, great, I actually took the time to learn HTML so I can manipulate the image. Or say like, I can't do this and I'm going to send it to IT. Now, what happens there is like your efficiency is kind of lost a little bit, so it may be just easier. So I I think you're absolutely right that uh, data can be your main job. There are probably enough people with analysis and analysts to do that. But if you want a quick answer, you should be uh, you should be knowledgeable enough to able to get that answer yourself. I mean, one of my big achievements, I think, is building Salesforce dashboards. I never in my life imagined <laughs> I would be doing that. But uh, I can look at it on a daily basis and see if we need to tweak our campaigns to make sure that we are, uh, uh, we are on target, if that makes sense. And I think, and that's where I think that there's a fair amount of skill overlap between those two disciplines. You know, it's funny, I I didn't start my career in marketing. I started my career in analysis, actually, and I migrated over to marketing because I think there's a lot of overlap because effective data analysis is really just presenting information to people effectively. Yeah, finding the information is very important, and 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 that's the whole like analysis. But if you can't easily break it down to someone, the conclusions you should take away, and it really doesn't matter what you found because it, it, it's not worthwhile. As a marketer, what we're doing is just communicating. We're communicating value to use a buzzword, right? We're understanding pain. And so there's that overlap. Like you mentioned Salesforce dashboards, right? And, and that, that separates, you know, good BI from bad BI is, yeah, a dashboard's a dashboard, but is it telling a story that gives me useful information or is it just numbers? And, and you're almost, you know, you know, like the end point of analysis is almost marketing in itself because you're telling that story and communicating, Hey, look, this is the thing I found and this is what it means. I'll give you another example. Like I have an extremely creative person on the team. Uh, and uh, she was very interested in learning more uh, about uh, data. And once she learned it, like now she's able to track uh, people from opens to clicks to actual getting to the thank you page. Now, in between, I think uh, it involves getting two to three different tools and being familiar with them, right? Now, just to tell you, maybe the answer in future is not necessarily the marketer learning all of this, but I'm pretty sure there'll be an AI that will come back and say, like, here's the results of your campaign. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that day when we don't have to be, like, master of all. Yeah. And so let me get your thoughts then. Um, if you follow the, the kind of the, 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 the refined lab story, which is to say a lot of this is happening in the dark funnel. And a lot of those, those machine generated recommendations may not be capturing the entire data set. How do you get a feel for when you're measuring, like when you, even if, if you're creating a model or you're feeding into an AI, how do you get a feel for when you have the right data and when you don't? Uh, that's a great question. Like, uh, for example, I, I teach at Georgetown and uh, sometimes you have to use inferred attribution. And by inferred attribution is like you can track probably 70 to 80% of uh, all your activities that you do. And maybe 30% is you don't know how they came into the funnel or how they took some action. But uh, the method that I have adopted is to make sure that uh, I can talk about the budget that's allocated to 
very definitive metrics and the rest of the budget to the inferred attribution. Yeah. It's going to change a lot. Like, uh, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, with, uh, you know, privacy becoming a big thing, tracking methodology is going to change. You know, somebody is user 125, 23, XYZ, but you don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, how did you know my username? No, I'm done. <laughs> hey, so, so that, that is a good question. And I, I know we're all over the place here, but, but let me ask you, I, I see people say, oh, you should set aside specifically for marketing, you should set aside a certain percent of your time and budget to experimentation. And I think that's the inferred attribution you're referring to, right? Here are things that, listen, I can't tell you what they did, but I feel like they're the right thing to do. What percent for you, what percent, right? You're given, you're given a hundred dollars. How much of that do you put towards? And I know it's different in every scenario because, you know, if, if you know for certain something's working, put all your money behind it. But 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 it, it, just in a given time, what percent of your time slash money do you use to to experiment in marketing? You know, the easiest thing to say is twenty percent. But let me tell you, like uh, PR, a PR professional will say that's easy to track, right? But if you're a small, scrappy company and you want to do PR, you have to have measurements other than. Like, for example, in both the companies that I worked, here's what the CEO and the board member said. I don't know what's happening, but I'm getting more inbound calls from investors, from everybody else. Whereas previously, I used to call them and I, nobody would yeah. answer my call. Yeah. That's very anecdotal, right? But you know, like for, uh, for uh, this particular angle, like uh, let's say most marketers have the, should we do TikTok or not? Yeah. And it's not like on TikTok, you're going to, somebody's going to click and say like, they're going, to, they're going to come back. And one of the methodology that I've used is, I'll give you an example of uh, measuring ads in the metro, especially if you're in the DC area, right? There's an ad in the metro, you have a phone number, you have a link to the website. Nobody clicks on the link because they're in a metro. Obviously, they're not going to call. They might take a picture or they might go home and search for your brand. So if you see in a particular test range that, hey, after starting this campaign on TikTok or PR, mm. now we see that our organic uh, search is actually going up, you can infer that the money that is spent on this is probably driving this. Does it make yeah. sense to you, Nick? Oh, it absolutely does. And, and just in your example, I think if you're going to have one person have an anecdotal feeling that something's working, the CEO is a really good place to start. Um, of, of who's gonna, uh, who's going to feel that way. Um, so we had talked about, um, you know, as, as far as, as, you know, to your point about the CEO or whatever that is, uh, I think there's a lot of discussion right now of like, should marketing just ultimately be, uh, online for revenue? Like, is marketing just a revenue center? And that's what, if the revenue goes up, marketing is doing a great job. If it doesn't, we need new marketing. Um, and I know that you've discussed the difference between services marketing and, and revenue marketing. Um, could you just, just uh, for the pod, briefly tell me what, what, what you think the difference is between the two? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, it depends on the company that you're in, right? Like, let's say you're working for a nonprofit. And the nonprofit is, let's say, wants to influence legislation. So obviously, the marketing team won't sign up for revenue. 
the marketing team will sign up for how many let's for the lack of how many people in the house that they have influenced mm-hmm. and that could very well be just with website traffic or very well be like eyeballs on some of the ads that they are right but if you're working for a saas company you're doing two things like and i get this question very often like you know hey you know in marketing we want to do brand awareness uh, we don't want to sign up for revenue yeah my personal opinion that's the wrong approach because without brand awareness there's no revenue so you have to do all of these in sequence so you start with brand awareness with the ultimate goal of saying like hey i'm going to get to a revenue of 50% marketing driven and here are all the steps that i'm going to spend uh, mm-hmm. i mean i think uh, the other part which you is like uh, how do you get existing customers to stay on like retention market yeah uh, i think uh, during the pandemic a lot of my uh, peers were actually saying like this is the time to hug our customers which i think we should be doing anyway <laughs> it's it's just awkward that um it was during a pandemic where we shouldn't be hugging people that was the only that was the only downside <laughs> that's a good point yeah to that point i am seeing an increase in like the term like life cycle marketing which is to say hey you know marketing and this is where i think roles get get you know confused in a way but in that world marketing not only owns the the if marketing is on the hook for for revenue you're not just attracting and understanding buyers you're nurturing them and getting them to grow with you it, it where do you see in your in your perfect world how far into customer success should marketing go should marketing have advocates on the cs team should should marketing own a portion of that how how does that go because like you said if you're growing your customers 300% that's tripling revenue right that that's amazing as it is you know this is a very good question and i think everybody should be thinking about this now in my opinion the way i would structure it and probably have been have done it to a little bit with involve is instead of the customer marketer sitting in marketing or the product marketer sitting in marketing we actually make them sit in those divisions mm-hmm. there are two reasons for that number one is they are as close to everything that's happening there as possible they are learning a lot their job is to do magic with with words and communication i mean a marketer's job is to make sure everything is so clear and precise that customers and prospects can understand it so i see in the future will be like uh, marketing is almost like the center of excellence Mm-hmm. and like it to say like hey customer marketer here are some tools here are some schedules here are some ways to spread the message and product marketer sits with product it has been a challenge when you are not sitting with that you anyway have to get that information from them so my way of working would probably be even if it's a smaller company to make sure that you are putting people in places where they are closest to the front lines if that makes sense yeah that that makes a lot of sense and and It it is interesting because you know there is that balance of how much of a centralized marketing function are we going to have and like you know keep whatever goodness we have in this marketing team there versus how are we going to fan out and nurture you know there's marketing in almost every part of an organization right um and, uh, and it, you think like even ops and, and product and all this um 
so, so you really do kind of, kind of, um, I, I, I like that. I like that idea. I like the idea of people coming together and understand marketing. And I, I think that there are several other functions. And the reason that I, I, I kind of like this is that's, I believe how analysis should be as well. Um, so, so I think that there are several, when you, when you plan out your company, if you're going to grow to a thousand people, you can almost look at these vertical things of, and, and this is where the marketing and the analyst can kind of share roles of, Having this on the team is going to a raise the tide, but b be accountable for something entirely different on each team while serving the same purpose. Right? An analyst is going to do something entirely different on the product side versus the 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 marketing versus the sales side versus versus anything else. Well, so is the marketer, but they're effectively doing the same thing. They're understanding the customer and telling the story of the customer. Um, and, and so I like the idea of of less of a centralized function and more of an embedded function. Maybe embedded marketing is what we're going to start like calling that. it. <laughs> yes. Uh, hey, uh, you heard it here first from Nick. <laughs> no, I, I, I see that. So, so, so let's follow that thread a little bit. Um, because I, I, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously going to be thinking about some of these decisions as you start your, your team. How do you, so you get a group of people together, right? You're coming in either as the head or you're hiring in. How do you lay out for them? What is it? Structured thinking. And I'm not. I'm not talking about like roles and expectations, but how do you how do you get people on fire if they're not? And how do you find people that are on fire for just understanding the customer? Like how how is that a how do you find that talent or 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 grow that talent? You know, it's a great question. Uh, I, I think uh, in my life, uh, if I'm hired for attitude. And the and uh, somebody who's a lifelong learner, I think they would fit in very well. Where a little bit of uh, hitting the ground running would probably be if they are familiar with some of the tools that are mm -hmm. there. But at the same time, like uh, it's very tough for somebody to come out of college at, uh, and get into a job because most people are expecting someone who's exactly been doing this job for a long time. Yeah. I hope I'm able to change that a little bit. I've, uh, I myself have uh, changed careers. I used to be in the hospitality industry. In fact, as you know, Nick, I used to be a chef at one time. But I know people, uh, I went to community college. I learned uh, a lot of technology that I did not need in my previous job. But that <laughs> helped me move uh, to, to marketing. So I'd like to pay it forward by you know, trying to see if we could get other people who want to learn and I, I'm not of, uh, I think everybody uh, at any level has to be continuously learning. I mean, see what happened to the world in the last 10 years, right? Like uh, there's so much of change uh, that we are all getting used to. So I think uh, we should hire for attitude. Uh, yeah, we should balance it out by having enough people with experience so they're able to mentor and mm -hmm. train and help people to, to grow. Yeah. Uh, so when I think about the team, that's what I would be thinking. Like, uh, if obviously if I have to hire a data science engineer, I can't teach him because I don't know anything about data science. So I would hire somebody, or yeah. I'd hire an agency or uh, another firm that does uh, data science. Yeah, and and and, and that's that's actually uh, uh, another. Uh, if we're coming out with mental models here uh, for organizational growth, I really like that one. Is this an attitude hire or an immediate performance hire? Because I, like you said, data science engineers, you can have the greatest attitude in the world, but it's probably going to be nine to 15 months until 
if you if you're coming in with a good attitude and no data science background, can you? And may, maybe you're in a position where that's an attitude hire, and you're looking to grow someone, and you put them through a boot camp. But typically, for data science and, and other things, that's an immediate performance hire, right? Within three to six months, you're going to need to see output. I, I think that marketing has, you know, whether whether it's marketing or product or sales or whatever that is, there are attitude and there are immediate performance hires. Um, and uh, I think a lot of us like to pretend that we're immediate performance hires uh, and are, we're just attitude hires, <laughs> just uh, masquerading as people who could come in and perform. <laughs> I have an idea for you, Nick. Go ahead. You should have Nick's dictionary of uh, new terms. <laughs> a lot of good terms that we heard here, right? So I like this uh, uh, immediate performance hire and attitude hire. I, I think these are good thoughts. Yeah, I, I listen. Yeah, I, I should be interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just able to market myself on the podcast. Well, that that's all I can do. No, no, but I, I, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for, um, you know, if people say like in the job description, right? Should job descriptions be changing? Should you put the salary up front? Should you put and 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 I, I while I agree with a lot of it. On the other hand, there is a lot of the direct, straightforward of, hey, I'm going to need you to do this, this, and this that a lot of positions have. It would be interesting to have like alternative job descriptions. Like either you're an attitude hire and this is the salary range and here's what, and you know, or maybe there's a higher salary range for an immediate impact person because I'm expecting different things of you. Um, I, I think in many organizations, we have the flexibility, especially if you're making multiple hires at a time to pick one or the other. And it would be, op- it would be interesting to be open about that and, and communicate that to the market. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there'll be a huge change in job description. There'll be a huge change in uh, in workplace. Uh, like uh, one of the easiest things, in my opinion, marketing does not have to sit in an office from nine to five. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, I think if the structure of marketing is good and they know what the goals are, then there are some... Uh, touch points that everybody needs to to hit, right? Like, for example, if we have somebody whose job is to, like, manage campaigns for webinars, they can do it at 6 in the morning, they can do it at 10 at night, they can, if they have a family, they can, like, uh, take them to the doctor, come back and do that. I think asynchronous work is going to be more and more. There's no... Uh, obviously, as human beings, we like to interact with each other, and this is not a debate about uh, whether we should have uh, in-office or remote, but it's more of a debate about can you make your team see the goals clear enough and they understand where they are going towards? Do they understand that uh, if for some reason a webinar gets dropped, that's like 25% of your monthly goals? Mm -hmm. If they understand that, you don't even have to tell them. They're going to say, like, I got it. I'm off to giving you this. Yeah, there's a little bit of course correction that's needed depending on how the outside world is. But as long as they have a set plan, they can do it from anywhere. Yeah. So I, like I, I think, well, I, I just, just to, you know, there, there's so many things that people talk about, like, what is great leadership? And, and, and I'm not touching that. But I think good management, when it comes to managing people, I think good management um, is communicating the priority of goals like these are the important things. Here are the less important things. Can we please get on the same page with that? 
and then inspiring people to to go and, and hit them. Like that's the like if you're going to bucketize it, because you're right, and we've all seen examples where maybe somebody was doing a great job, but an individual or a team or whatever it was clearly just did not understand the impact of what they were working on, and we're down here where we're dropping balls up here where where it's far more important. Um, and, and you see organizations do it too. Things like customer retention. Customer retention should probably be in your top three, but people are over here working on like increasing new sales channels while we're starting to lose people or, or churn. And, and uh, I, I think just getting on the same page of what's important here uh, is half the battle. Yeah, and I want to give you a counterpoint. It's, it uh, doesn't disagree with what you said, but uh, what I'm seeing in uh, in the multi-generational workplace today is a manager doesn't have to be detail oriented and sometimes an ambiguous manager may actually do better because uh, he or she is coming out and saying hey i need this done and the team member figures out something mm-hmm. that's even more skillful and better than what the manager could have thought of and i have some great personal experience i love telling the team like Hey, you came here. I told you, I gave you a few tips about how to do things, but you've been doing things that I could not even imagine that we could be doing creatively. So I'm glad about that. Uh, I would hate to be a manager who would say like, okay, here's a standard operating procedure. Take it and go do your job. Mm -hmm. We have to have processes. I agree with that, but we have to have enough leeway for that person's creativity to, to come. And mistakes will be there. Like one of the my pet peeves is no typos and links should always work. Mm-hmm. But it happens like when you have, especially when you have a huge volume, right? But uh, then they figure out like, hey, if that's our expectation, let me make sure that my pal who's on the other side of uh, the Zoom call gives me five minutes to give it a second set of eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and I think... Just in that point, my pet peeve is when to that is just when someone produces work that maybe should go in front of a customer or maybe not or whatever it is. And it's very clear they didn't even do the check of like, would they understand it if they read it? And you and you know what I'm talking about. You'll see stuff right away of like, hey, this is you can't even read this. Like, I don't like I think you did technically what you thought I was asking for. But that ambiguity is so like I'm just like, hey, can you make a page that looks like you'd want to read it? (laughs) Um, So we're coming up on time. Uh, Before we break, I know that uh, I've seen you on LinkedIn. You've talked about it a bit, uh, about what what AI can do for marketing and and you're learning Python. I I saw, can I get any bold predictions for the next five years of marketing? What what do you think will will be markedly different in five years than we're doing today? You know, I'd be lying if uh, I told you I could forecast the future in five years, but uh, I've been pretty good at uh, science fiction in a way. So, uh, so I think uh, here's uh, what we will get it. And we probably are already there, but companies are not telling us that we are there. The ability to predict when the buyer cycle is versus the ability to think about a sales cycle is totally going to be much easier. And uh, for example, like uh, I'm going to throw a plug for Enablix simply because I think it's a great solution. But the reason why I'm not in the buyer cycle yet is because my team is changing and so much is changing. 
there's definitely a need in the last brainstorm they we did like people said like hey we want to be able to go to one place and you know classify everything and get the right uh, collateral at the right time and uh, you know some of the technology that you use in ai like it's almost like i predict as a salesperson is on a call they're going to get prompted by hey we analyze the call we analyze the whole talk track we analyze all the data we have on the customer here are three things that you should send the customer and it's not they're not spying on anybody but they're taking all the existing data making so many correlations to be mm-hmm. able to predict i think that will get easier it's yeah. already there i mean like on your mobile phone lunch time you get a ping from like an app that tells you like here are five restaurants that are offering specials i mean uh, yeah. and marketing will get to that kind of a, a prediction model Well, even even to that even to that point right there. I think a lot of times we think about like, oh, we're going to be solving these big problems with data and we're going to know and oftentimes the answer is like, oh, is it lunchtime? Suggest a restaurant. Like like and so I think getting to the simple, you know, it's it's not simple, but getting to the simple looking conclusion of, oh, your buyer journey starts now. I think it takes a while, but I I could absolutely see that happening. I'll give you two case studies of like customer success right please do like uh, uh we have like nps scores we have got like so much of data on customers and usually i've always seen in my previous jobs you have to like download a spreadsheet here and try to make sense of it mm-hmm. now if a customer calls you more times a human being can think like oh my god this customer is calling support a lot so they're probably going to churn right yeah or a customer never calls you but the usage is high but you don't know what to make out of it i think my prediction and it's already probably there if uh, is maybe the customer who's calling support quite a lot is doing that because they're doing extremely well they're expanding their team and they want to get people on board it so that's like an expansion opportunity and maybe the person who's not calling support at all may actually be your software is so good that they don't yeah. need support right so they're yeah. not a churn risk that's where i think ai will be better than us because as a human being i would say i would say in the first case like oh my god we need to do something we need to have mm-hmm. a meeting with them but ai can tell you like hey you need to maybe give them a different package or yeah. something like that well, so that predictability we have are you i'm a big user of google photos I I'm so happy that every time I want to post a flower picture I just go to Google Photos and say flowers it comes takes oh, yeah. 100% percent accurate <laughs> it does bring up you know a nice napkin folded like a flower also comes <laughs> in so uh, maybe that's another prediction yeah. that AI will start learning where I think where I would like AI to get better because what you did it is you said all right if we put all the signs all the things we can measure right now on paper I would think this is bad but it could potentially be good. Speaking of Google, where I would like to get that is one time I'd like to Google a recipe and get the recipe and not this huge story leading to the recipe because if you're looking at because if you know, you know, it's impossible and they get but but all those signs that you're doing, right? If I'm looking for how to make black beans and someone's telling this long 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 story about how they uh went to South America and 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 found a, a black bean. What what Google is seeing is I click on the link and I'm scrolling and scrolling, so I'm obviously enjoying it. and then i find what i need and i'm spending a long time on the page and then i x out so google's like oh yeah this was awesome 
This person had an amazing experience. But what I really wanted to do was click, be there for five seconds, see what they did next out. I didn't want to be there. <laughs> and so they're optimizing for the wrong thing. You know, Nick, like Google's uh, experience is so customized for everybody. Mm -hmm. I actually get what you're asking for. For example, uh, I was making, I was trying to make a dosa in 15 minutes. And the first result was actually a recipe from a website without my actually asking for it. So it was, yeah. here's the ingredients, here's the ingredients. And I was really amazed, like, oh my God, I don't oh. even have to go to the website and Google wants you to remain. Now, the other thing that I'm really amazed at is they they actually analyze YouTube videos and give you just the like. Oh, just it goes right to the snippet. Yeah, yeah. Go right to the snippet. And my God, like uh, it's like you just have to think about it. <laughs> Somebody's already <laughs> done it. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, the the deep search capabilities. I, I think that's to, to where we think things are going. I think the the we call it deep search. You can call it what you want. The ability to go to the part of the document that you need, or whether it be a video on everything on the internet, I think that's getting amazing. That's where we go from big data to truly big data, and my head starts to spin of uh, of of the the value that, of uh, what we're providing. Um, and uh, I think on that note, right? Like, I think the win for every marketer is going to be not call. I mean, you have to do a little bit of curation of content. But strive to produce things that nobody else has thought of. For example, in this uh, uh, conversation, there are two to three things that I had not heard of before, and some of the terms came from you, right? Every marketer has the ability to create things that are, you know, yeah, that are part of their imagination and could be reality at some time. That's what people want to hear. They want to get educated. So even into the Google Deep Search that you're saying. It will only come when you're providing the content that somebody is seeking and can't find anywhere else. So the, the quality of content, the thinking like the searcher, I think will lead to a lot of victory. So uh, I think every thought leadership content is probably the best content you can ever, ever produce. And uh, if you don't know the answer, interview somebody who knows the answer. Like call Nick and ask him and give you a few more. <laughs> Inspiring content marketing uh, takeaways from Shashi. I, I think that's a good note to end on. Is there anything you'd like to plug or, or let the uh, listeners know about? I just want to say, like, uh, like I said, uh, very interested in AI. Uh, a plug would be for Involve.ai. I think what it does is like uh, make sure if you're in customer service or in revenue, you're not surprised by like what you thought was a great customer and you got this call and that said that they're leaving you. Mm -hmm. So how do you use technology to predict that so that you're not surprised? Because if you know about bad news, you can actually turn it into good news. Yeah. And, and that's your slogan, right? Knowing about bad news brings good news. <laughs> that's that's it right there. Hey, 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 I'll give you that one for free. Uh, <laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Honestly, I, I love this conversation. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Shashi Belamkanda. Thanks, everyone. Feedback welcome. And uh, I hope you understood my Southern accent. <laughs> this has been Mind the Gap, a podcast about sales and marketing alignment put on by Enablix. My name is Nick Lopez. Thanks for listening.